Hello? Yes, you're here. We are here. This is it. All right, guys. Just like that, we are live with a quick click. You're live on Inside the Whale. This is Doug Cody. I am on Nantucket Island in Massachusetts, where I live, where we all live on this island. This is Inside the Whale, your podcast. This is your first first time tuning in. I am Doug Cody. Welcome aboard. Before we get the show going, I need to tell you important information that today's episode is sponsored by The Hallover, featuring clothing, packs, and gear from Patagonia, Yeti, Tom's, Cool, Prana, and other classic outdoor-inspired brands. Check them out downtown right next to the downtown stop and shop. That's right, the haul over. Get your outdoor wear, everything that's cool, on the water, off the water, in the moors, or out in Sconset. Go there, check it out. A lot of good stuff down there. I shop there, and so should you. Thanks, haul over. Welcome aboard. Also, today's episode is sponsored by Island Insurance. Island Insurance is a boutique insurance agency that puts their clients' well-being first. Island Insurance Agency provides homeowners, commercial, auto, workers, comp, liability, life, health, and long-term care for the residents and business owners of Nantucket Island. Island Insurance believes that exceptional customer service, including extended hours of availability, is the starting point of any good business. And that is what Nantucket Island deserves. And that's what the community should expect from their insurance agency. Look them up at 022... Oh, sorry. I read that wrong. See what happens. I get in a rhythm and then I screw it up. Their website, 02554insurance.com. Or give them a call at 508-221-1584. I'm going to do it in my radio voice. All right, guys. That's right. Island Insurance. Call them at 508-221-1584. Or look them up on the internet. That's 02554insurance.com. Island Insurance. Just something you have to have. Hey, listen, my father was an insurance agent. Isn't that ironic? I didn't want to get into business, but I know I need it. You need a car, you got a motorcycle, got to have it insured. Part of being an adult, right? So I understand it. So get down there, give them your business. For me, I'll stick to the podcast. All right, folks, here we go. Let's move on. Thanks for to our sponsors, I should say. Let's move on. All right. All right, Islanders. All right, we're in it. How are you doing, Nantucket? Now that we got those ads out of the way, can you feel it? Are you getting that summer push feeling? The Five Corners has that summer feel to it, right? Traffic's starting to build up. We just had our obligatory week of that lovely January weather, as they call it. it seems to happen every year. It's so crazy to me that uh, there's just this week. Every year since I've been here is this week right in the beginning of early June, that just sucks. Cold, kind of winter-like weather. It's almost like the island is resisting summer, you know, but it happens. And then there's that switch. There's the day, and uh, Saturday was the day. Saturday was the day that just, you know, you could feel summer saying, here we come, folks. Nantucket, get ready for it because it's coming. You know, you have warmer temps. There's some surf. It just starts to feel a little more like summer. And, you know, it, uh, what can I say? I'm figuring out how to get in here and 
weather's so nice, get in, get the podcast out to you. So hopefully you guys are ready for summer. Lots of cool things coming up, right? We have the Film Fest coming up, the Book Fest, you know, what else? It's the season of fest. There's Fest Fest. I'm going to invent a, a festival and just call it Fest Fest and just everyone can walk around town with lanyards on but not know where they're going. Just give them stupid badges and, hey, did you go to Fest Fest this year? How was it? It was great. What'd you see? Nothing. It was awesome. Fest Fest. That's what's going on. Oh, man. I went out on Friday night with my wife. Amy and I got a sitter. We went down and had an amazing dinner at uh, the, the new club car. Man. Uh, what a great dinner we had. And then we went over to uh, Brian Gowacki's uh, comedy show that he had going out the Dreamland. And uh, it was a great night, you know, great dinner. We had some amazing dishes. God, the food was so good there. Uh, super, ton of awesome vegetable sides. They had this artichoke and roasted uh, artichokes with chili, lemon, anchovy, parmesan thing. God, it was it was amazing. One of those things you think you might be able to try at home, but you can't. You Got to leave it to the pros. Miami and crew over there at Club Car, man, and the, this insane black and uh, black bass with tons of flavors. God, it was incredible. So good. Miami was nice enough to send out a little uh, mushroom app that was just just awesome. We'll definitely go back there. Club Car, glad uh, guys stepped it up. It was it was great. So we had dinner at the club car and then went over to uh, Brian Glowacki's comedy night, which uh, was a benefit for the Marla Seeley Lamb Cancer Travel Fund, which uh, is definitely a great cause for folks that are sick and need help getting up to Boston for treatment. Couldn't think of a better uh, cause. Went over to the Dreamland. Great packed crowd. You know, I should, uh, I've spoken about Brian's shows before, and I think I should mention it again. I just think it... It's so cool that he's producing these comedy shows out here, and uh, I just want to say we're lucky. And I'm a fan of stand-up comedy, and you know I love comedians. Most of the podcasts that I listen to are actually comedians. I just love comedy, and I just think it's so cool that Brian brings these comedians out here. So uh, I guess I just want to say a huge high five to you, Brian. You know, and uh, if you uh, haven't gone to one of his shows, you're really missing out. Because, you know, when I was in NYC, you could go see stand-up uh, any day of the week, but, you know, we live on an island. So someone bringing those comedians here uh, is really sp- a special thing, and it's cool. And the comedians were awesome. God, he had some uh, super funny guys. I actually did, I recorded this guy, one of the comedians, who I didn't know actually is from Nantucket. And uh, I'll just give you a little snippet of what you missed. This is David Martin Hayes, and he's talking about uh, living on Nantucket here. Check it out. Right. Almost winter. Winter. Winter's almost over. And summer! <laughs> when I moved here a year ago, people would be like, have you been through a winter yet? Like, they're like, they take on this, like, Mariner's lean, and they... <laughs> See them bobbing up and down on the stern as they refashion the knot. Have you been through a winter? I'm a smartest, so I'm like, I mean, yeah, you know, I have lived on another part of the globe that also happened to be subject to the Earth's rotational axis, bringing me further from the sun, thus rendering my days a little shorter, my nights I have been through a winter. I decided to shake things up this winter, though. I quit smoking. I quit drinking. And I got married. 
cool, right? Man, it was great. What a great night. You know, thanks, Brian, for bringing us that. I'm a fan of you, man. I like what you're doing. We're going to have you back on the show soon. Catch up with you and see how your comedy career is going. Seems like it's doing great. So keep it up. So what else is going on? Let's see, folks. Let's just get into it. Today's episode, number 51. Oh, yeah. My episode. The episode. Apologize for that inconvenience, folks. Sorry if that was a little choppy. You know, producing a podcast isn't easy, especially when you're two and a half year old screaming and won't go down for a nap. Nonetheless, guys, episode 51. My guest, Lee Malazzo, owner of Samuel Owen Gallery down on Center Street. Now, uh, we're going to dive into the art gallery world. I don't consider myself a real art aficionado, but I'd like to think that I have a little insight into the art world and galleries. I love going to installations. I love going to Mass Mocha. I love love the MoMA. You know, living in New York City, I, I've certainly been to some swanky art openings and gallery opening gallery opening type events. So, like like many of you, I probably you know have my own preconceived notions about the art world and the galleries, how they operate. You know, I love contemporary art. I love uh, I kind of like more of the street stuff. I'm obviously, a fan of Bansky. I love Chuck Close. You know, I grew up as a skater, so I, I tend to like a lot of the street style artist stuff, which is kind of cool because Lee kind of lends himself to that. But the first time I went in to Lee's gallery, the Samuel Owen Gallery, I saw his collection, and I immediately like wow, I was like blown away. I was like, wow, this is such cool stuff. It's just new. It seemed different than what was typically out here on Nantucket. And then kind of have that kind of street element that I like. I just thought it was cool, and especially cool seeing that kind of stuff out here on Nantucket. So, you know, Lee was on my radar, and uh, the more I thought about it, you know, I really wanted to get into uh, what it what it takes to run a gallery. You know, how does someone get into the gallery business? How does someone, you know, what's the trajectory? How does that, what's the story? How do you get into becoming a guy that owns an art gallery? So, uh I really did. I want to sit down and pick his brain. And I, I can tell you this, I definitely have a much better appreciation for what goes into running a gallery. And, uh, you know, my preconceived notion seemed like a lot of cocktail parties and sort of a fancy job. But as you get into it and listening to Lee talk, he, you know, he broke it down and you really start seeing that it's kind of like this chess match uh, of of relationships and deals and you know, throwing these parties, it's like throwing a party and hoping people are going to show up all the time with every new installation. So that's just, I don't know if that uh, makes it clear or not, but uh, it was really interesting to sit down and talk with him and uh, certainly has an interesting past. Got his start in uh, poster restoration, which is, uh, you'll hear him talk about it. Uh, really great episode. He He's a really fun guest, easy to talk to, and uh, you guys are going to love it. So let's just do it, guys. Let's Let's jump in. Let's go inside the whale. Eyes now, ye white whale. Show us your crooked jaw. Show us your wrinkled brow. Rise. He rises! So you you're in Miami? Yeah. So um, we're gonna just open with that. He said he was the two street artists and in, in a 
bombing a building in Miami? Yeah. When they uh, say bombing, I mean, or tagging, I should say. Uh, yeah, ta- not really tagging because they were, um, you know, the, the, the work was pre-made. They painted, uh, they painted the work on um, Tyvek. Uh-huh. Uh, and they use Tyvek. These artists use Tyvek because uh, it's really lightweight. It's really thin. It doesn't tear easily. So they could paint a big mural. And then just put the Tyvek and up. And literally put it in like their, the pocket of their hoodie. And then, and then climb up somewhere. Climb then... up with like a, a you know a bucket of wheat paste and brushes and rollers and so um, I was there for our. How long ago is this? This was like six years ago. And who are the artists? I'm just gonna Google it right now. So uh, I, can pull it up. I don't know if they want me to say. Oh really? I don't want to say. <laughs> um, well, one of the artists was uh, an artist by the name of Michael DeFeo, the flower guy. Okay. And this wasn't that night. Is that but... the flower in the gun? No, that is. Um, uh, it's just a, it's a single flower. Um, I don't know. Google the flower guy. <laughs> All right. The flower guy. He's, he's a New York artist, um, has done a lot of work with, uh, uh, I think New Yorker magazine with the High Line. He helped out uh, raising okay. money for the High Line. Gotcha. Um, that was, he was a, a different artist that I worked with. That was sort of a semi-legal project where he was told that there was right. a, there was a building in Miami by the train tracks that didn't have anything on it. Right. And so there was this, they, these artists will, you know, it's, it's fun to, to talk yeah. to them a couple days before. Cause they're, you know, they're texting each other and they're like, Hey, here, there's when a scissor. When are we going to do it? When are we going to do it? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then, um, but so anyway, this night we go out and they're like, let's just, we're going to like put a piece up in Miami. And I, tagged along and I just thought this is cool you know hope we don't get caught what am I going to tell my wife yeah you know (laughs) getting Uh, arrested at 20 is cool yeah but not when you're like you know in your mid 40s and you've got to go to your booth at the art fair the next day Yeah, that's like street cred in the art world that's what's cool about I mean that's why you're in the art world right because you can do shit like that yeah well and I like to work with living artists I like to work with artists that are making work right now right because you know it's you're there, you're living it. You're involved in whatever project they're doing, success or failure. Um, I love reading about artists and I love, you know, the history. And one of my other businesses is vintage poster restoration. So there's, it's rich with history. Whoa. Like, uh, what kind of posters? Like, like old advertising posters. So the artists, uh, everybody from Toulouse-Lautrec, Capiello, Mucha, um, Cassandra, these are all like the, you know, the, these the, are early illustrators. I'm getting prop, yeah. right. Yeah. They're In talking the, about like turn of the century to the 1930s. Oh, wow. Yeah. Just to the thirties. Nothing. Pa- like. Well, we restore, it will restore any, any poster, any vintage poster, uh, up until like the eighties, nineties. Like we just did a whole group of the original iPod poster that somebody oh, wow. had and they were a little, you know, they were torn up and now those posters are valuable. What are they worth? Anyway, depending on when uh, they were printed, because there was a number of ad campaigns. Right. Um, anywhere from a few hundred to a few thousand. Wow. Yeah. That's cool. All right. So I got to, we got to, we got to rewind here because I'm trying okay. to, I, I really, there's so many things I want to talk about because I'm definitely fascinated. I have a lot of preconceived notions about the art world just from being in New York for sure. so long. So I figured uh, we can flush that out, I guess. But I really wanted to start with where did the person, where did you, 
a gallery, getting into the gallery business, becoming a gallery owner, like you don't go, it's not something I don't, you don't necessarily go to college for, right? right. No. Because there's people, basically if you have a space, anybody can have a gallery, right? Yeah, you don't need a license to have a gallery. <laughs> so how did it start for you? Where did you get into the gallery? Like, you grew up in Greenwich, right? Yep. Like, so, well, I actually grew up in, in Fairfield, Connecticut. Um, went to Parsons School Design. Studied illustration, printmaking, and animation. Oh, you're an and, animator. Well, no. I studied animation. I never actually animated. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, which is why I dropped out of art school after two years. I just became immediately disenchanted with the idea of being a working artist. Um, it seemed that every alumni that I interacted with from Parsons, if they were if they graduated with an illustration degree, they were a filmmaker. If they graduated with a fine art degree, they were building sets for Blue Man Group, which was cool. But at the time, to me, it said, why be an art school? If you kind of know what you want to do, then why, why wouldn't you drop out and do the thing that you know you want to do? Um, so what year is this New York? I'm trying to get a feel for what what's going on in New York around... Is this 90? This is, uh, yeah, 89 to 92. Okay. Yeah. So um, I dropped out uh, of art school, got a job at a gallery um, selling vintage advertising posters. Okay. Where on, was the gallery? Um, where was that gallery? Uh, Grand Street. Okay. So right so, across from Lucky Strike. Yep. All right. Yeah. Um, Toad Hall is over there. Toad Hall is right next door. Yeah. Um, I don't think Toad Hall was there when I worked there, though. That came after. Yeah. That's um, a cool area, though. It was a great area. That's a really cool area in yeah. New York. I mean, I, I, was, I was thrilled right. to move from, you know, all I wanted to do growing up in Fairfield, Connecticut, was move to New York. So I took, in my senior year, I took a studio class uh, in the summer between my junior and senior year which counted as credits towards my, what would have been graduation. Gotcha. Um, <laughs> those, went, those went right out the they, window. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. <laughs> it was a good, good move. Yeah. Um, and uh, so I, I moved into the city, um, went to school for two years, dropped out of Parsons, started working for this gallery on Grand Street, selling vintage posters, uh, wasn't particularly in love with sales, but when I walked into this gallery, I was actually trying to get a barback position at Lucky Strike, and it oh, was raining. Yeah, so I ran across the street, ran into this gallery, and saw all these vintage posters, and I really didn't even know that they existed. Right. So I asked the owner about them. I was, you know, was had a million questions for him, and on the spot, he said, "Do you want to?" A job. I said, well, I was just trying to get a job across the street as a bar back, but I'd love to work here instead. And he hired me on the spot. Wow. So you started working at the... Yeah, I were, literally started that, that next day. I started working and um, the odd thing was he was, an, he was an interesting character. I mean, when you're in the art world... The artists are interesting characters. The gallery owners are interesting. The yeah, clients dude, gonna the, be... the, the, we're definitely going to have to talk about that. The gallery <laughs> scene... Yeah, I mean, it'll, I think everybody's a little interesting and, and kooky and maybe crazy, but when you work in a corporate environment, you don't get to act that way. When you 
are a owner operator of a gallery interacting with artists, there's no HR department. No, so you're everything, right? You just not only do you do everything, but there can be no boundaries. So if you have if you're a little quirky, that you know, that comes out. Nobody nobody says you can't do that. Well, you know what it is? <laughs> there it's almost accepted. Yeah. Because there are these things probably, you know, it's the art world. So it's like I can wear a box around my head and go around this cocktail party with, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it's like anything goes. Yeah. And sometimes it works and sometimes it's, you know, horribly pretentious and sometimes it it's incredibly you know, dumb. it's so interesting. I used to work these parties in New York, these fashion parties. And, you know, these guys, people would come in with these outfits that you're like, holy shit. Yeah. Like, you know, the guy with a, you know, he's wearing like a 1920s prison convict and he's he's pulling around like a one of those little shackles or something just something right right it's whatever you could think up the most ridiculous thing is people would just and go for it there's a fine line between just silly and stupid and you know uh inspired and genius but that's that isn't that art in a nutshell that's yeah. kind of what it is it's yeah. like the more the more ridiculous and uh but it's I don't know. Wait, we'll get we'll delve into that more. I want to talk about your parents. How did were they into art? No, my uh, my Whittier. mother was a um, social worker, and my father was a butcher. Wow, yeah, in, in Fairfield, in yeah. Connecticut. Yeah. So my father started out. Um, he went to law school. Then he became a in New York. Then um, he uh, became a stockbroker. Uh huh. Moved out to Connecticut to start a family. And then uh, I have one sister. And when the two of us were born, um, we, uh, my father said, I, I'm not going to be in the stock market anymore. <laughs> I'm done he with Metro North. Well, no, he actually, <laughs> he actually worked in, in Bridgeport, but he, oh, okay. he always said the stock market to him was legal gam- legalized gambling. I mean, it is. And he wanted, <laughs> yeah. And he, so he wanted something stable to support a family. So he's like, I'm going to be a butcher. So he bought a butcher shop and meat packing um, plant with a couple of partners and that's what he did until he retired. So we were like a little kid running around the butcher yep. shop. Uh, not really around the butcher shop. I would um, he's interesting. He my father uh, I think consciously kept me away from the butcher shop huh knowing that he didn't want me to be in the butcher shop and become a butcher, I guess. Cause I used to beg him to come to work and sweep and can I help out? And it I'm was picturing like a storefront. Are we looking like it? Like yeah, there was a, there was a little bit of a storefront, but it was more like this, like they made hamburger patties and they made sausage and they had the huge like things of beef and they were, they really supplied restaurants locally, gotcha. but they had a little walk in kind of counter Okay, that was, you know, um, it, it wasn't like Main Street with the white apron and the... That's what I'm know. picturing. Okay, I had a very uh, I, it, Norman Rockwell version no, of No, it was not the Norman <laughs> Rockwell. It was sort of like the across the street from the asphalt factory, um, you gotcha. know, next to a an abandoned lot. We're, so we're talking more of a factory meat kind of... Yeah. Bridgeport, Connecticut is, you know... It's, oh, I know Bridgeport. It's not known for its Norman Rockwell scenes. No. <laughs> anymore. It so used it, to be. It did it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Bridgeport's a yeah. You just you're lucky you don't have to get out and walk <laughs> around there. Right. I've, I think I missed a train once in Bridgeport, the Metro North, and you don't want to spend too much time. No. There. No. So so you when you were like that, I'm gonna start a gallery. How did you? Get, what's the trajectory from? Well, so it's interesting because 
when you go to art school, you encounter a lot of kids whose parents didn't want them to go to art school. And the parents, you'll hear every story from my parents said, I could go to art school for one year and see what happens. Well, <laughs> what's right. going to happen in one year? Or, um, you know, I couldn't get into any other school, so I decided I'd go to art school. Or I dropped out of music school and decided to transfer my credits to art school. Um, yeah. And they're not all like that, but there are a lot of these stories where um, it's either a lack of commitment or there's no one behind them, you know, supporting them. And I had the complete opposite experience. My parents never said, we don't want you to go to art school. Every time I said I want to go to art school or I want to make art or I want to be an artist, I got 100% support from my mom and dad. Wow, that's now, cool. And it's interesting because it's not because they understood what that trajectory looked like or they had been inside of an art school and thought this was wonderful. They were just like, you know, this kid, this is what this kid wants to do. And we can say no and it can be miserable for everybody or we can support him and see where it goes. Yeah. So I always felt really lucky to have that because I rarely encountered people in art school and in my industry now who get that total support. Yeah. I, I, it's so interesting that music school, art school, most of the people that are successful, you hear this story a lot though. They dropped out. Mm -hmm. They get, they figure out that, and I guess that speaks to the, the, the path of an artist. You're kind of in this, this school, this organism that is this school, but you figure out what you like, whether it's sculpture, whether it's painting or something, you're like, I don't know if I need to do this. Right. You know, and some of the best painters and sculptures didn't even go. Yeah. I mean, so, or, or it, you know, it's, you know, I look at where, what I do now, I have an art restoration business where we restore vintage posters. Uh, I employ 12 artists in that studio we restore about 150 to 200 works of art a week out of that studio in Stanford, Connecticut. Right. That was the business I started after dropping out of art school 26 years ago. Which is crazy to think that like I can do this. Where did you learn the skill how to redo it? Or you just did you just say I'm going to find myself. The, I'm going to find the people that know how to well, so I, when you, when I worked at this gallery, I interacted with all these different dealers and there was one guy in New York that restored posters. Who and was he? His name was Larry Toth, and he owned a place called James. Larry Field. Toth. I love Larry. the name, man. I can I can already picture Larry Toth. And it's funny because <laughs> I used to walk into the studio to drop off posters to be restored. And uh, you know, this was he's he was like your quintessential 70s gay man. Yeah. Who started a vintage poster restoration business as an artist and his mission was to only hire gay men so <laughs> it was this studio i just i have it's just so new york <laughs> it was great me, you know and i like, would walk in and there'd be like 18 guys and they're oh uh, he's probably sweet on you lee and well that's <laughs> kind of how i got my like the foothold into the business i would walk in and drop off posters and He'd be like, come on, let's go have a drink. No, he would say, get him out of here. He's a spy. He would always call me a spy. And one of his employees would be, you know, would say, hey, Lee, come here. Let me show you this poster I'm working on. And I'd watch and they'd, 
I learned about, because I was just curious, I was this like college dropout. Yeah. And this was this magical world of art where they're, you know, it's like this industrial art space where they're restoring posters and, and mounting them to canvas and rolling them up and shipping them. It, it's, everything about it was interesting to me. And my boss at the time, after about a year of picking up and dropping off posters and working at the gallery, he said, uh, why don't we start our own restoration business? He's like, I, I send probably 2000 posters a year to, to Jay Fields. Mm -hmm. And, um, so I rented a small space in Brooklyn and took all the kind of information that I had collected and put it together and started my own thing. And so I spent a year by myself in this studio every single day, teaching myself how to restore posters. Do you have any of the originals that you, the early ones that you did? Uh, I'm, I'm trying to visualize so. what it looks like. Are you taking like, all right, say there's an old, uh, I don't know, car, a uh, Ford, a 1945 Ford mm-hmm. print ad, and it's got this like brown hue. Are you, do you look at that brown hue and say, all right, now we got to find match that color all along this line? Is it that kind of stuff? Or? Uh, kind of. What, in, it's sort of the opposite. We're trying to get rid of that brown hue. So if, if the the paper okay, so it's faded or was something. inherently, yeah, would, would it, it's a wood pulp paper, so it's like a newsprint. Because these posters weren't meant to last for more than a couple of weeks. Dude, Photoshop. Yeah. <laughs> this yeah. is pre-Photoshop. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, we don't use any computers. Everything is hand-done. It's water-based art materials, gouache, watercolor, colored pencils, wheat paste, no chemicals. It's just, it's the way. It's the way it should be it restored. Should be done, yeah. And, um, so my, my boss at the time actually gave me like 250 world war one posters, which at the time had very little value. Ooh. And he said, just learn how to restore It's called linen backing and learn how to linen back and restore posters by using these as guinea pigs. So these were world world war one. Yeah. And I destroyed a lot of them. Which was cool because I, I, the only reason I know this is because my family had a Norman Rockwell war bond original in our house. Right. Was it one of the four freedoms? Yes. Right. With, and it was the, the, the image was a father and mother looking in on their son. They had just tucked their kid in. Right. And it was save our, I think it's, I got to save our kids or something, but it was a, a war yeah. bond. Yeah. I think it's um, freedom from fear. Freedom from fear. Wow. That's some big brother. <laughs> that's cool um, though. Yeah. I mean, I've seen... You know, we've restored over 300,000 posters, I think, in our restoration studio in 26 years. So I've seen, I've experienced a visual history of illustration of the world from, you know, uh, car ad, French car ads from the 40s where they didn't have windshields and they had to wear goggles and leather face masks yeah. to travel posters to Ru- Russian constructivists. I mean, I've seen and have been able to restore and preserve just hundreds of thousands of these posters. That's cool. So what's the my what's the holy grail of like in the poster world? What's the one like that everyone's like, "Ooh, if what has the most value right now?" You know, now? it's interesting. It's um it's typically less about value and more about, you know, scarcity. Okay. So recently we just did the only known billboard for Houdini. So it was a six-sheet billboard that was um, I think 12 by 12 feet square. That's cool. And it 
it had Houdini and he's being put in a box and there's a robot behind him. It's a whole, it's amazing. If I looked it up, can I, could I see it if I Googled it? Um, the only place you're going to see it is on my Instagram, which is at poster conservation. Okay, well, I can look that up. I'm it's, super interested to see yeah, what that looks like. I don't think it's been reproduced anywhere. It's owned by a private collector who has the largest Houdini collection. And Is it David Blaine? It's not. No, because he's a huge Houdini <laughs> guy, is, right? Yeah. Um, but then, you know, we also did a billboard for uh, 26-sheet billboards It's called a broadside. It would have been plastered up on the side of a barn somewhere in the Midwest for um, uh, Buffalo Bill. So it was a Buffalo Bill Wild West show broadside. And again, it was the only known poster to exist. And that ended up in a museum. Um, There's always, you know, there's, we've restored um, a number of Toulouse-Lautrecs. And there's one Toulouse-Lautrec poster where I think they only, there's only five or six examples that are known. Uh We've restored two of them. Um, so we see a lot, I mean, there's, there's no Holy grail, but in each collecting field, because within vintage posters, you've got the hardcore movie poster people and the, uh, the French advertising and people who just collect Capiello. I don't know why I just thought of this, but like Nazi were get like Nazi war poster propaganda posters yes. are probably big, right? Or no, They're really not big, not big, but I'm just saying, I'm just trying to think of things that were like, you know, I guess if the more obscure, maybe the more there, I mean, that is a part of, that's a, a part of history that when you see it in vintage poster form, yeah, it's gonna... is chilling. Yeah, I bet. Um, and there are a couple people out there that collect that material and they collect it for the right reason and not the wrong reason. Dude, Lemmy, Lemmy from Motorhead had like a Nazi knife collection from SS soldiers. Did he? he? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. It's so crazy. There's so many just subcultures of people that are into it you know, everything, even the vintage poster world, you know, there's, it's, you know, a whole subculture of people that they, they're day to day. And you're one of these guys that's into like vintage posters. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's fascinating to see this world that you, you know, how did, what was Michelin, how was Michelin advertising bicycle tires in the thirties? Um, the Michelin man was these, was, was, made up of these thin little white tires. The initial, yeah. The original Michelin man, whose name was Bibendum. And he had the monocle and everything. And he looks like, he looks like a monster. Yeah. <laughs> There's nothing warm and fuzzy about the original Michelin man. Yeah. And actually, the before the Michelin man, their advertising was this savage Indian that had sharp teeth. And one of the posters is this Indian biting into a tire and he can't bite through it because the tires are so tough. Right. So there's one Michelin poster, which is fantastic. It's a, um, it's a bicycle ad, mm-hmm. and there is a Michelin man riding a bicycle, smoking the cigar with the monocle waving as he kind of rides off into the sunset. And in the foreground, there's a bicycle with the back tire uh, deflated, and it has bottles and nails and all sorts of stuff in it. And instead of a tire around the rim is a another Michelin man, but not a Michelin man. It's another man made of tires who's dead, wrapped around the tire, <laughs> completely, you know, right. cut up and, uh, you know, with, with nails in him. And it's, I mean, it's like, 
it's grotesque. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so crazy that it, and that... you don't realize that you know before they had t- television or you know any kind of. So visual... who was the artist that drew that? You know, I don't know the artist who because drew that I was just I was just thinking a lot of these guys in that era like that's how and before like fine art well fine art was always around right but like mm-hmm. contemporary a lot of these guys ended up later on their works were discovered their other works they did sure. a lot of work in commercial print mm-hmm. but then some of them did ended up doing um pulp fiction covers a lot of those artists would do the pulp fiction covers under a um uh under a fake name yeah. because they wanted their fine art to be recognized as as real art so there's hmm. one artist that I collect. His name is Howell Dodd. And I actually don't know what his real name was, but he became more famous as Howell Dodd. That was a pseudonym. The was pulp, it? Yeah, the Pulp uh. Fiction illustrator and was a failed fine artist. Huh. Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> but so you asked how do yeah, you well, open wanna, a gallery? Let's get into right? the, yeah, let's. So uh, owning this vintage poster restoration business, uh, you know, consumed me for years and I loved it. And I, I loved the fact that I got to wear a lot of different hats. One day I was constructing a table. The other day I was trying to figure out a problem on, on how to restore a poster. You know, remember nobody taught me how to do this. So everything was problem solving and everything was like a MacGyver. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Um, and, uh, during this process, I collected vintage posters and I started collecting other types of art. Um, met my wife, we got married um, how did you meet her at, at a gallery function? No, I met her in a bar <laughs> on Lower East Side. All right, that's good. I'm picturing um, some the Luna Lounge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right on Ludlow Street. Yeah, it's not there anymore. No, um, that's where a lot of great people played at yeah. Luna Lounge. Mark Marin used to host a night. Is it? Is that the same yeah, Luna Lounge? Yeah, yeah. It was across the street from. Um, Oh, what was it called? I can't remember the name of it now. It's not Barramundi. I know that. I'm trying to... Th- I get those streets confused, yeah. too. And There's so now a good friend of mine from art school, Michelle Miles, opened uh, or owns um, a tattoo shop across the street from where Luna Lounge used to oh, be. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it was called... Uh, I do. It's so funny as I can see it. It's called, my... it's called Daredevil Tattoos. Oh, uh, Michelle... Michelle Miles. Yes. And it's crazy because she did this one. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. She did, Michelle, that's, that's so great. crazy. I know exactly what you're talking yeah. about because I believe, is she from upstate New York? No, she's from St. Louis. All right. Then it's blonde. I can, I, blonde, bleach blonde. Yep. Uh, yeah. Good, really great Small friend. Small world, but yeah. Yeah. She did this tattoo. That's awesome. Yeah. And then she and her partner um, bought Fun City tattoo. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so that's where my wife and I met. Uh, so after my wife and I met, and we we um, she came out of the uh, auction world. So she worked for an auction house um, selling rare stamps in New York for about twelve. Another years. subculture, rare yep. stamps. Like it's crazy. I mean, I got a full you know uh, <laughs> crash course in philately, which is the uh, say that word again. Philately, <laughs> dude. What? Philately. Yes. If you collect rare stamps, you're a philatelist. Okay. <laughs> new vocab word for the day. There you go, there ladies you go. and gentlemen. There's your new vocab um, word. So, um, and I have two young boys. Well, one, they're a little older now, 10 and 15. And um, I've told them on numerous occasions, they don't find this funny anymore, that um, 
what if you collected rare stamps and you played the concert piano? Pianist, you'd be a you'd be a flatulist. pianist who also is a flatulist. A flatulist. <laughs> she's oh, oh. So, oh man. So so she's anyway. in the stamp world. <laughs> so she's in the stamp world, and um, uh, she also owns two uh, mid-century. Uh, modern antique stores at clothing stores and furniture in uh, Hoboken. Okay. So we joined forces. So you're in the bar, you have a bray and you have one of your smoking a cigarette and you're like, I do poster restoration. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Something like that, but I don't smoke. I know. I'm just <laughs> trying to be a dick. <laughs> you're not far off. Uh, so you guys got married and then you're like, let's start a gallery. We, uh, it, you know, we looked at our, um, our combined collections of art, uh, hand-tooled um, handbags, uh, paint-by-numbers, gotcha. vintage advertising signs, vintage bar neons, like all this stuff. And um, we talked about a number of different ideas. Like, we have to, do we open an antique store? Do we open a gallery? And, you know, my focus had always been fine art. It's the only thing I've ever done. It's the only thing I, I know. Um, well, it's not the only thing I know, but it's the, right. it's the one thing that I, I think I know best. Um, and we had this large vintage poster collection. So we said, let's open a frame shop and sell vintage posters. And maybe we can, you know, find some artists. And um, it, it wasn't born out of, hey, let's make a lot of money selling artwork. And I was just having a conversation this morning with somebody who was asking advice on how to kind of start their art career. Do I sell originals? Do I do limited edition prints of my work? And wow, that's a can of worms, right? It's yeah, like- and I, you know, I started by but what I tell collectors, which is buy what you like. So it, you should do what you like. And if it's something that you're really passionate about and you put good, hard, honest work into it, then maybe it'll turn into something that's successful financially and hopefully emotionally. Yeah, it's true with anything, really. If you you have to have a pa- if you're passionate for yeah. it and you're into it. Yeah, I can't do anything that I don't enjoy. Yeah, <laughs> so I try to do everything that I enjoy. Yeah, what's your least favorite part about the gallery business? Um, I think, um, I think hiring, <laughs> but I think that's the least favorite part of anybody's business that's just like that's personal management stuff keeping it's like speed dating it is i just want and i'm i just want to find the right person immediately right right it doesn't happen and it doesn't always happen that way and i've been lucky enough to have a number of people over the last 26 years come in and out of the various businesses that we own that have been amazing and we have an incredible staff and i tell everybody who works for me um, you know, I have to come to work just like you do every day. So let's try to make this a positive, good experience where we all get our work done. You know, it's not a, it's just, a, you know, the gallery, it's a different type, completely different type of work. Cause a lot of times it seems like you're kind of, you, you know, you're, if you're just in a gallery, the person at that front desk is kind of just sitting there. They should have knowledge about what they're, what, what's up. Right. They should know what I'm guessing. This is all just, I'm just guessing on what you would need to do and just be like into it and enthusiastic about it. So if some, someone comes in 
And because uh, I know in New York, you go walk around Chelsea. Sometimes you walk into those uh, galleries yeah. and the vibe is fucking heavy. <laughs> it's terrible. It's horrible. You're and, like, dude, I just, you know, I saw like, who was it? Uh, I think it was Glenn Friedman had. Do you know who he is? He's a photographer, a lot of punk skate rock yeah, bands oh, yeah, and yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. He had in the, I walked into one of these, I saw a cool picture. It was the early minor threat. Uh, uh-huh. He did the original Salad Days picture. And right. It was up, and I walked in to check it out. And the person at the counter was just, could not have given a shit. <laughs> and it, it's, and it, but it kind of does. The, the, the pretentiousness of the art world can be sort of this. Well, I, right? You know, I, yeah. And it's one of the reasons I don't own a gallery in Chelsea. I mean, I, I live 45 minutes from Chelsea. I've thought about it a number of times. I've had a lot of opportunities to open a gallery in the city. Um, either real estate developers that have come to me and said, we want your gallery in the ground floor of our new building or other galleries that have said, we have this big space and we can't afford the whole thing. So we want to split it with you. Yeah. And I've always said no, because I feel like it will drain my passion because if you think about it, a gallery, a lot of these galleries in Chelsea, um, you know, you have to be open regular business hours and I go in them all the time, and what I see are um, people getting out of the rain, people waiting f- to meet somebody for dinner, um, people... <laughs> Which is interesting, because that, that's an interesting story there. Yeah, well, I, just, I walk in, and I look around, and I say, are there any buyers in this room? That's what goes through my head. How does this gallery exist? Right? Yeah, how does this... Who's paying the you bill? Know, yeah, I, well, you walk into a gallery, it's a beautiful concrete slab that's polished and white so, walls. So that's actually interesting. How does someone... When you were starting, how did you know? Did you, there's Was it one piece that was the start? That, like, I'm going to do this. Or this... I saw no, one the, guy's work? No. I, the first show that I did failed miserably and the second one and the third one and the fourth one now why did they failed miserably mean no one bought any work no no one bought any work um so let's let's break it down how does the gallery function you bring in an artist's collection right let's for people that don't understand it like right let's well so it's different the way i run the gallery now is different than when i started so when i started i really i understood how to put a gallery together um but nobody's how well, I mean, simply, I had a big warehouse space in the south end of Stanford. I thought it was really cool. I thought people would flock to it from, you know, the surrounding areas in Fairfield County. Exposed brick. Exposed brick, high ceilings, <laughs> you know, this is the, the cliche. cliche. <laughs> right. But um, hey, man, I mean, you want to hang art in a cool spot, right? Yeah. and But the funny thing is, is that that exact same space now I still have and is my studio. And... We have events there now. We get two, three, four hundred people showing up, and that's a function of um, getting out there. People now know sort of our brand. They right. Know we should we should say that you primarily do contemporary all art. Contemporary now. Art. All contemporary. All Samuel and galleries. All contemporary. All contemporary. Yeah. We should define um, that. Most of the artists that we represent are living artists that I'm directly interacting with. Um, I don't do much uh, with secondary market work. Um, which would be like buying a Warhol print from another dealer and then marking mm. it up and selling it in my gallery. I have access to a lot of that, but that's not what gets me excited. What gets me excited is going into an artist studio, talking with that artist um, about their work, how it's produced, why they produce it, um, because I straddle the business and the creative world. I make art. I went to school to make art. 
Um, so I have that artistic mind. And for some reason, I also have a business mind. So, you know, I see, a, I see some gallery owners who are artists and they want to go into a studio and they don't look at it from a business standpoint. They grab a bunch of paintings, they put them up in their gallery and they get some wine and an acoustic guitar and oh boy. it's a big fun jamboree. And then at the end of the day, they don't have a whole lot of money to show for it and the gallery closes. I've also seen the opposite where you've got a business minded guy who says, oh, these, look at this gallery. These guys are, seem like they're making a lot of money and they don't have to hold a lot of inventory. Everything's on consignment. So, you know, low overhead, I can do that. And they don't have the eye. They don't have a, how to talk to artists and they don't know how to sell. And again, it can crash and burn. See, right. What we just, that those are a lot of dynamics being yeah. able to like, that's what to me is fascinating about the gallery world. There's a lot of these components that you people that don't even would never even think people listening right now would never even think about. Like, right. it's not just finding the art. It's being able to find the right space. It's being the contacts, getting the right people there. Right. You know, yeah. so, so how did you open the one in Greenwich? Well, so to step back, the one we started in Stanford and I made the classic mistake, which was I said, let's put, let's make a gallery. And what do people in Fairfield County want? They, they probably want like botanical drawings and they want like flowery stuff and they should all be in gold frames. So we framed a bunch of botanical drawings. And then I said, well, I need to bring in a fine artist. So I found this guy who's super nice, great work. He did dog portraits. And I was like, these are really cool. A lot of people have dogs. We should do a dog portrait show and have the botanicals up. And so we did, and we had a guy come play acoustic guitar, and uh, yeah, yeah, and like four people showed up, and oh man, it was, I feel bad just hearing that. It's like throwing a party and no one shows. It was super depressing because what I was doing was I was creating the gallery that I thought I should be creating. I was basically taking that horrible template that I just described, and <laughs> without realizing it, I, I put that together. And I remember at the end of the night, locking up with my wife, I was like, oh my God, what are we doing? This is the dumbest idea ever. And yeah, you know, we woke up the next day and both of us have this entrepreneurial kind of spirit in mind. We were energized. We're like, all right, I was thinking about it all night. Here's what we're going to do next. We're going to change it up, right? So we did a different show and that failed. What was that one? Um, that was uh, two artists that, I met through an artist association who did portraits. Um, they weren't commissioned portraits, but they were like portraits of, of like teenagers. And I thought they were really cool and the paintings were great. But again, what I missed was people don't want to look at moody paintings of teenagers above their couch. <laughs> so I was looking at it without the business mind. I was looking at it yeah. from my kind of art school lens. Um, so then it dawned on me, um, you know, what am I doing? I'm, I'm, I'm showing artwork that I think people want to buy. Um, and I had a collection of vintage posters, sci-fi and exploitation posters, sexploitation posters, yeah, 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 which are amazing. So I had these, like I had everything from the original Star Wars movie poster from Italy wow. to um, Close Encounters poster, um, Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. Um, oh, I was, I was thinking, so these are sci-fi, these are movie posters. Well, movie posters, and then I also had these like 
Godzilla versus the robot, which would be a great sci-fi poster that I still have in my bathroom. Yeah, the guy that did like those L. Ron Hubbard books, you know, the artist yeah. that did all, what was yeah. that guy's name? That's what I'm picturing. That, that. But they're they're very like, specific, like 70s sci-fi uh, paperback. Yeah, it's sort of that Pulp Fiction, but, you know, the next step. Um, and then I had, like, the erotic adventures of um, Snow White and the Seven Dwar- Dwarves. I had a spinoff of a 007 movie called Mission Sex Finger. <laughs> Like some incredible posters. And I collected these personally because I thought the graphics were great. I thought the titles were amazing. And I always thought like, who's going to buy these? So my wife and I, she was like, why don't we do a show with the posters that we like and maybe people will like them. So we did a show of sci-fi kind of classic movie and sexploitation posters and people bought them like they were Uggs. Really? <laughs> I mean, they just were devouring them. Wow, that's you cool. Know? And I am, was struck by how excited people were. They were as, I was seeing them get ex- as excited as I got the first time I saw them. Yeah. So that, that moment we said, wait a minute, we're doing this all wrong. We have to just, we've, we've got to forget about what we think people are going to want to buy. And just sell the stuff that we really like, right? I mean, it's like a songwriter or a band just playing, not not playing covers. Dude, I don't want to play covers. I just want to play our songs. Right, exactly. And um, huh. so we did a series of shows after that. What we would do is we would go out and look for artists that we really liked, that we would hang in our house. And we really talked about it. You know, do you think somebody would hang this in their home? And that would be the lens that we would look at, you know, curate the gallery. Uh, and that's basically how I do it to this day. Um, the nice thing is that now that we have two locations and we've, we interact with a lot of collectors and we work with a lot of different artists, um, art is access. It's access to collectors and it's access to artists. And so, um, Damien Hirst, arguably one of the most famous living artists today. Yeah. We work directly with Damien Hirst. So anything that comes out of the studio, we have access to primarily on the printmaking. So how does that come about? Like when you're like, all right, there he is. I got to go over to hear this guy. And like, there, there's sort of a, there's a little bit of a song and dance or a little bit of a waltz right. that has to happen between the, the gallery and going to the artist. What's your, what, how did that go down? So first there's, I've never met him. Damien and I have never, never met. No, he's too, I'm not, I'm not there yet. <laughs> Are they just like, cause I know it's like, oh, fucking galleries, like we need him, but is it like, I don't know, right. like the love hate kind of thing? No, I love Damien Hurst's work. I, I'm a huge collector of the work. Um, I think I've, I've studied up on his career and I think he's a genius in a lot of ways. Um, so I don't, if I have a love hate, then I'm not going to work with the artist. It should be for me. I should like the artist. I should like the work because again, English, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, one of the young British artists is, um, that's sort of the, the group that he comes out of in the UK. Um, but Damien Hurst's company wouldn't have spoken to me if I didn't have two established galleries and a roster of artists that they felt um, 
worked with Damien's work. Interesting. So they'll say, well, who else are you showing? Exactly. Okay. And, um, you know, if I was a, a dealer selling lots of secondary market work, they might not work with me because it's not sort of fresh and edgy enough. But if I had a gallery that was super edgy and, you know, so edgy that people weren't Jesus. buying the work, they'd be like, nah, we don't really want to be a part of that. They want to be a part of a healthy gallery with owners that they can communicate with. Again, it's, it's kind of like anything. Like you want a partner, if you're dating, you want a partner who you, you can have a healthy relationship yeah. with. Yeah. And that's when I say, you know, art is access because, you know, you need to have access to artists. You need to have access to collectors. And I'm lucky enough to have amazing artists and amazing collectors. Being on Nantucket and having the gallery here, these are like the best four and a half months of my life. Well, yeah, just <laughs> for well, a lot a, of reasons. Yeah, yeah, you get a break from. Well, I probably work harder between now and August, the end of August, than I'll work the rest of the year because I'm in the gallery every day. I'm doing, I'll do four or five shows. Um, sometimes I'll get in at eight and I won't leave till 10. Um, but I love it. I'm interacting with people who are on vacation. I typically get the husband and wife together so you can have a decision made in front of you. Yeah. Uh, my collectors are happy. Um, they're on Nantucket. Um, and I'm showing them something that is hopefully beautiful, engaging. Yeah. And you know, the, the process that people go through is, is pretty interesting. When you see something and you're like, I've never made a big art purchase. Mm -hmm. I've never, but I've thought about it and been like, would I, that decision for someone to do that is a, that, that mental process is a psychological, uh, you know, beast because people are like, do I want this? Is this, is it worth it? Like for someone, depending on how much it, it directly ties into where you are monetarily, you know, yeah. like if you have, if you make a decent living, but you have enough to afford a $5,000 painting or what, when do you do that? When do that, when does that person decide that I want to buy that painting? I need that painting. Some people right. don't have that in their, their, it's not just, they don't need, they feel they don't need art. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of people out there that, that don't see it. I've had friends come to my house 50 times and I'll say to them, you know, the painting that's above the piano when you first walk in the house and they'll go, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> you know, hey, how did you miss that? You know? Right. It's, um, it's, I just, it's so subjective, I guess is yeah. what I'm getting at. It's yeah. very interesting. I remember the first time I walked into your gallery, I didn't know you, but I looked at the art and I was like, Wow. Thanks. Dude, someone yeah. has an idea, a fresh, new, just different, cool, contemporary, not a lighthouse, <laughs> not a sailboat. Right. And I was like, this guy's going to do well because there's a younger crop of Nantucket people that are out here that want that. Right. And I'm not I'm not adverse to a lighthouse or a no, sailboat. No, 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 no. But I, it's got to be. I should be preface that. Like, you know, there's. There's a need for that too. No, but I'm just saying like, uh, it's funny because when I first opened, I said to myself, I am never going to show a lighthouse or a sailboat in the gallery. And I have an artist, Lee McCarthy, who is, who lives on the island um, part of the time and two of her pieces, one is a lighthouse and one's a sailboat, but it's done in a way that's so different than everything else Yeah, that it's, it. It doesn't compete with all the other lighthouses and sailboats. And what I tried to do when I came to the island is I wanted to do something 
that was completely different. I wanted something that stood out against the backdrop of Nantucket that didn't compete with Nantucket. Interesting. So, um, I saw that firsthand in Marfa, Texas. We had a gallery in Marfa for four years. And yeah, <laughs> I, I'm just thinking if people might not know about Marfa, but I know Marfa just because I had a couple of photographer friends that were in New York and Marfa is this obscure town in Texas at whatever, for whatever reason, because of the, what is the, the, um, Chinati foundation, Donald Judd. Yeah. But there's also, what's the famous building. It's like the, the storefront of the, um, the Prada, the Prada. Marfa. Yeah. In the middle of this podunk town in yeah. Texas is this like chic facade of a Prada yeah. store. So that's an art installation that was done through a, um, a non-for-profit in town called Ballroom Marfa. And we should mention that it's worth the Google. Just Google Marfa, Texas. It'll probably the first image that'll pop up. Absolutely. will, will it's be the, that. Marfa, Texas and Nantucket have, there's, there are so many parallels. Okay. Um, Explain. It's, it's really interesting. Well, Marfa, Texas is like an island. It's three hours on a straight, you know, classic David Lynch. Yeah. Texas road to any other civilization. To the point where when I would drive from El Paso to Marfa, you'd sit in the car going 95 miles an hour and you feel like you're standing still because there's no buildings, there's nothing passing you by. You just see the, you know, the double yellow line. There's no guardrail. And eventually or, or occasionally you'd see a, another set of headlights <laughs> and you go, oh, there's another car coming. I got to like stay alert. Isn't it great? Texas and, is so big. But here's the crazy thing. 20 minutes later... You haven't passed the car, like you're going oh, ninety-five, and you're both speeding at each, other, yeah. at each other. And then when you finally pass them, it's this like for me, it was this terrifying moment of wow. you know. Um, so when you're in Marfa, you really feel isolated. You feel more isolated than you do on Nantucket because here huh. it's like planes are flying in and out, everything's happening. Marfa, Texas, was it's like sixteen square blocks. And you literally drive to the edge of town and the buildings stop and it's just tumbleweeds. It's huh. just desert. <laughs> wow. It's crazy. So, um, so how, how did you end up going to, what was the point of going to Marfa? Um, I had known about Martha for Marfa for a long time and a collector, um, who's become a close friend came into my gallery, um, and said, um, you're opening a gallery in Marfa, Texas. I said, I'm not opening a gallery in Marfa, Texas. He goes, trust me, you're going to open a gallery in Marfa, Texas. He goes, I was just there. I bought this gas station in the middle of town and I bought these casitas across the street and I want you to fly out with me this weekend and look at it. And if you like it, open a gallery. And if it works, pay me some rent. And if it doesn't, just pack your things up and go back home and no hard feelings. Yeah. And I was like, huh. So I drove home and I said to my wife, we're opening a gallery in Marfa, Texas. And she said, we're not opening a gallery in Marfa, Texas. Wow. And I gave her the pitch and she goes, all right, great. I'll call your parents <laughs> and they can watch the kids. And we flew to Marfa the next day and looked at this space, fell in love with the town. And we opened a gallery 30 days later. Wow. It was amazing. And then it was funny because then I asked my friend, well, what's the you know, I never asked you, what's the rent? <laughs> you never even talked no. about that. He said, well, it's, um, it's 280 a month. And then there's a $6 water bill on top of that. 
Oh, geez. I was like, oh my all right, God. I can handle that. <laughs> Compared to Nantucket, right? <laughs> yeah. That's a, but you took a leap of faith coming to Nantucket, didn't yeah. you? How did you get to Nantucket? I should even ask you. Yeah, right. What um, was the path? So um, we did, we used to actually send work to a gallery that no longer exists on the island. We would annex work on the, in the summer uh, by a handful of our artists. And I had never come to Nantucket. I knew about Nantucket growing up in Fairfield County. Um, but for me, I went the other direction. I went to New York and, you know, everybody else in my town went to Martha's Vineyard, Nantucket and, um, like, um, yeah, it's right. You can come on. It's Ashley or sitter. Oh, nice. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> um, We're just having a podcast here. No, no. <laughs> Ashley, this is your chance to plug your, your work. All right. <laughs> so, um, they're in I, the bedroom. I just never went the route of Nantucket. I moved into the city. I wanted to, you know, be a fine artist. I that didn't, not that I didn't like it. I just, it wasn't on my radar. Right. So it wasn't until uh, three and a half years ago that this gallery owner contacted me and she said, you know, I'm not going to open my gallery next year. Um, you want to come to Nantucket and take a look and take over my gallery. She's like, you know, I know you, I trust you again. Art is access. Huh. And, uh, I said, you know, I've, I've never been to Nantucket, but I'll, I'll check it out. So in December, my wife and I flew here and it was that winter where there was just, I mean, it was more snow than ever. It was, was that it, the same winter that Jonathan took the Slurpee, the Slurpee wave, wave the winter. Slurpee it wave was, winter. It was, we were here right before that happened. Huh? And hashtag Slurpee wave. There you go, Jonathan. He'll be stoked. He'll be stoked. And now, and Jonathan's work was our first show in the gallery here. Um, so anyway, we, uh, we walked into this space. It was the old seven seas building on center street, you know, catty corner to the Jared coffin house across from the bakery. And we kind of fell in love with this space. And as it's, total like weird connection uh we're walking around the night we get here and we see the plaque on the outside of the building that talks about herman melville and how yeah. he met with captain pollard and that was the inspiration for moby dick and it sort of all happened in that building oh wow and my wife and i were like we got to chill because my closest friend is richard melville hall who is best known as Moby. Oh, the, the recording artist. The recording artist. He lives in LA. And I called him and said, I'm standing in front of the building. He's in Melville? He's in Melville, yeah. Wow, that's interesting. So his father nicknamed him Moby when he was born. Yeah. I met him a couple times, actually, in New York. Okay. I had a couple yeah. musician friends that were in his circle. Okay. But uh, he hit it big. So you went to high school with Moby? Uh, we didn't go to the same high school, but I met him during high school at a Christian youth group in Greenwich, Connecticut, where he DJed. Ah, okay. Does he still have the tea? Does he still do no. the tea? Teeny tea. Teeny he tea. He got rid of that. He has a new restaurant in uh, downtown Los Angeles called Little Pine. Okay, so he's yeah. all L.A. It's so funny that all these guys go from New York and end up in yeah. L.A. Yeah. All my musician friends, or not all, but a lot of them, or LA now. Well, you know, goes the, it's interesting because the, you know, artists, musicians, visual artists, a lot of them move to LA because you can get a lot of space. A lot of sp It's so expensive to live in New York now. I mean, I if you where unless you're out in Queens or you're, 
it's uh, it's hard to be a working artist in Manhattan if you don't have you know a father who runs a hedge fund. It's pretty crazy. <laughs> no, no, that's exactly true. I mean, it, the only reason I stayed in New York as long as I did is because I had a rent control department, you know, and right. that, that was a big deal right. when I shut that down. But even it, you know, who was it? David Byrne was, you know, was saying, or no, was it Patty Smith? Some one of those people was like New York. I would move somewhere else if I was going to try and right. make it. Right. Well, so that was the genesis of finding the space. The so you were actually space. selling some work out here through another gallery. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, uh, you know, it's just funny enough. We see the only space we looked at, <laughs> we called the landlord the next day and said, we're going to take it. And then we Did had you to know f- the kind of art you wanted to put in there. Like, was it always going to be contemporary? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, we, we, we had within 24 hours, we had the whole business plan. You know, the painting it white, painting the floors white. We saw it immediately. And that is, you know, that doesn't happen overnight. That's a function of opening a gallery for four years in Marfa, Texas and owning a gallery on Greenwich Avenue and doing pop-ups and going to art fairs all over the country. All of that experience allows you to walk into a really rustic, you know, and have the uh, vision and be able to look through it all and say, I, I we can make this work. Um, but it was a huge leap of faith because it's an enormous space. It's a, over 4,000 square feet. It's nine rooms. Um, there was, you know, we, we put a lot of time, money, uh, you know, into that space to make it what it is now. But, you know, one of the reasons I brought up Marfa, Texas is Donald Judd, He's a contemporary minimalist uh, artist who's, when you go to Marfa and you see his work against the landscape of Marfa, it fits. It's so different, but he does it in such a way that it creates a new environment that um, that doesn't focus on the contemporary and it doesn't focus on the rustic nature of that, you know, southwestern yeah, part of Texas. so it sticks out, of Yeah, course. it just turns into a whole different experience. And that's kind of what we thought of when we came here. We're like, we don't want to be, we don't want to thumb our nose at the island or at any type Did of... Did you experience anyone feeling that way? Have you got any negative uh, you backlash? Know, Has anyone been, you know... I have to tell you, none. Zero. That's it's great. been amazing. That's great. Um and I would tell you if there people, was. The people don't like change. You know, I can, I can sense that the island definitely, I mean, I've only been here five and a half years and it's, there's definitely shifting. The sure. island's changing and yeah. people are tend to, human nature tend to resist change. So I would, right. especially, you know, if, if there's someone that's been in a gallery and all of a sudden there's a new gallery going up, all the people in that little area, the ga- but I don't know, Nantucket really does support the, you know. The, the, We've had an amazing the, experience with, other businesses, um, and vacationers. I mean, I really thought the, the first week we opened, I kind of had a panic attack thinking, oh no, I'm going to be the working stiff on this magical island that everybody has an incredible experience. And it's just, you know, it's perfection. No way you're doing it. I'm, 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 I see you surfing. We're surfing. Yeah, no, We're like, it's you're been doing amazing. it. It's been, it's I never sweet. feel like I'm, I'm really at work. I get to, like you said, I get to wake up. I get to go surfing sometimes. I ride my bike to work. If, um, it's, uh, it's, it's pretty amazing 
uh, having a business on the island, um, everybody leading up to opening here from Connecticut used the same term. They'd say, oh, you're opening a business on Nantucket. It's magical there. To the point where my wife and I were like, if one more person says it's magical there. Yeah, it gets annoying. You're like, easy, tone it down, yeah. right? And then a month in, we were like, oh my God, it's so magical here. <laughs> Hashtag magical. <laughs> so have you ever checked out? There's a couple kids that um, I went to a couple local um, just kids that threw this art show and it was in a barn stable. This kid, Kevin, okay. he's a really awesome artist. I forget his last name. He's a local kid. Have you ever checked any of that stuff no, out? No, I would love it's to. Super contemporary. Kevin, uh, what? I don't know his last name. I can picture him. I know. Call me, Kevin. His work is awesome. <laughs> yeah, uh, I would, I mean, I would... it, it was amazing. And uh, if I... I if I see him, I'm going to make sure I'll have him just, I think you dig it. If you took a, yeah. I, I went into this, they, two years ago, these local kids that grew up here, definitely influenced by street art cool. for sure through a, a gallery in a, I guess the kid's parents owned a, a horse barn. That's awesome. And they'd cleared out all the, uh, hay and they put up all their artwork over this horse barn. It was awesome. That's like, you know, gr- growing up, my, my mom and dad used to always watch these, um, Mickey Rooney, uh, uh, movies and it would always end with like you know somebody needed money for the mortgage and Mickey Rooney would say let's clear out the barn and have a show and they would find a barn and they clear it out and before you know it there'd be like a 16 piece orchestra and they'd do a big dance number and they'd make the money and you know grandma got to pay off the yeah. mortgage so that just reminded <laughs> yeah. me that cleaning they literally cleaned out the barn and had an art show that's amazing it's DIY you know yeah well, you know, it's interesting. I think this is this is good. I feel like I, I really, I, I wanted to sit down with you because I, I, the art world, contemporary art world is, is interesting to me. I have the people that I like. I told you before, I love Mike Mills. Yep. I like a lot of the Beautiful Losers. Right. If you guys don't know that, just Google Beautiful Losers. A lot of those uh, skate guys. Yeah. Mark Gonzalez. Mm-hmm. His yep. work's awesome. Yeah. But um, just understanding the way it works, how the, I feel like I understand a little more. It's really kind of a chess match. It is, it's, and it's, it's you know, it's a it's a love affair. I have to love what I do, and when people, you know, I was saying earlier about people coming into the gallery on Nantucket, I get to see it. I get to see people walk in and fall in love with a piece of artwork, and that's, to me, part of the reason that I say Nantucket is so magical. It's not just the beaches or that I can surf with my kids or have dinner with my wife at whenever, every, you know, any night of the week. It's I get to watch these people walk in the gallery and fall in love with something. With something that you fell in love with too. Exactly. Which is kind of like, which is weird because it's sort of like the parallel, it goes down, right? It's similar to what the artist would experience. Mm -hmm. It's like the first time I got to watch Star Wars with my kids. I was excited for them to see this for the first time. Yeah, I'm like that with music. I (laughs) turn someone on to like a screaming females, like listen to this track or... God, I just listened to the Sturgill Simpson tune, and I'm like, man, right. check this out. It's great. It's, it's like, great. Way, it's just cool. I get it. I, it there's a transcendence there. Mm-hmm. Shared experiences can be, you know, moving. Which is art in a nutshell. Yeah. We need to do that. Well, I think Samuel and Gallery is amazing, and, and the first time I went in there, I was like, you're going to be successful because you're doing, you're bringing in cool, cool artists that are doing really amazing stuff, and it's sort of fitting with where the island is, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Go, and I see in, in as far as like art and what people are putting on their walls. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? It's been great. We're, we want to be here for a very long time and you know, for, for 
all the reasons we just described, the community, the, the, uh, the collectors, the weather. It's cool. I think <laughs> I that, that's here. why I wanted to have you on the podcast. Yeah. Cause I really do think that a gallery owner is an interesting uh, little window into what actually goes into doing it. You know, right. I think the preconceived notion is people standing around, it's a lot of cocktail parties and, and red wine, but that's, you know, See, we, you said something to me early on. Remember when I, when I asked you to do the podcast, you, you had a really clever saying about the gallery, about the gallery, Be, being business? a ga- yeah, being a gallery. Owner. Well, one of the things that just comes to mind from you saying, you know, it's not all cocktail parties. My wife and I always say it takes a lot of work to make something look easy. Oh yeah. People will walk in the gallery and they see it's all clean and everything's white. And the walls are white and the floors are white and the, the art looks beautiful and we're sort of freshly showered and relaxed and people go, Oh, this is so great. You know, I should open an art gallery. It seems and so fun. It seems like so, wow, it's so interesting. Right. It is, but you don't see the, you know, the hard work and the blood, sweat and tears that goes into it, which is the point, you know, it's like when you go watch a play you don't want to see what's going on in the back. You don't want to see the teamster that's pulling on a rope. <laughs> God, or how about just like thinking like if you're, you know, if you have a rough year, you're just waiting to sell one. Is there an awkward moment if someone gives you a lot of, uh, you put up an artist's work and he doesn't sell? Is that a weird interaction? Yeah, you know, it happens. It doesn't happen as often as it did I mean, that's bound on. to happen, right? Sure. Yeah, like yeah. you put someone's work up that you're really psyched about and people just don't connect with it. It, it's, you know, it's always a scary moment. It's, it's like, like that, this podcast. Right. <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's literally that like 15 minutes before you throw a party and no one's there and you think, oh my God, did I send the email? Is oh anybody God. coming? It's crazy. <laughs> so, uh, thankfully we, uh, we don't, we have f- fewer and fewer of those experiences. Right. Well, get down there, Nantucket, Samuel Owen Gallery. Check it out. Lee, thanks dude. That was dude, awesome. Thank you. Glad to have you. Yeah. Lee Malazzo, Samuel Owen Gallery. Lee, thank you so much for coming on. And, you know, I should, this has happened to me uh, numerous times, is after someone comes over and we stop recording, we end up getting into these awesome conversations. So it's kind of cool. I was like, wait, that last point he had was so, uh, so interesting. I was like, we got to turn, we got to turn the mics back on. So we turned the mic back on and just, uh, just got that last snippet in, and I'm glad to bring it to you. Boy, I hope you guys have a bigger appreciation for uh, the Samuel Owen Gallery and uh, all the galleries on Nantucket, I should say. Not an easy business, but, uh, you know, throw the party and hope they'll come, right? Isn't that right, Lee? Thanks so much for taking the time. Guys, that's it. Episode 51 in the books. As always, thank you for the click. Thanks to our sponsors, the Hallover and Island Insurance. Now, with that being said, get out there. The weather is on. It's nice. Go fish. Go surf. If there's waves, get in the water. Go ride your bike. Be safe. Have fun. And party on. We'll see you on the next one, guys. Over and out. How we ended up out here.
That's what I'm talking about. 